Leslie Carline, President of the Pensions Management Institute. Great to meet you. Welcome to this AHC podcast. First of all, can I ask you to tell us a little bit about the PMI, for those that don't know about it, and your role particularly as President? The Pensions Management Institute is the Institute for Pensions Professionals. Our aim is to improve the standards and professionalism of people working within the pensions industry through providing qualifications and also through providing thought leadership and encouraging them to give back to the industry as they go through the ranks of their careers. How would you describe the profile of membership of of PMI members? Well, we have the full remit of people involved in pensions from the people who actually sit there and do your pensions calculations through to actuaries, pensions lawyers, but it's a lot of people like scheme managers and pensions consultants who are involved with the institute. My role as president is to be the outward-looking representative of the PMI and to keep everybody up to date with what's going on at PMI. So on a day-to-day basis, is there a normal day for you as president? (laughs) I wouldn't say there was a normal day because it is a voluntary post, which I will do for a year, possibly two, if they let me stay on to do it the second year. And I could be doing anything from working with the commercial team, looking at the agenda for a conference. I could be chairing a conference, I could be being interviewed, I could be working with the TPR, I could be meeting with the DWP or the FCA, through to occasionally having to go to an award ceremony and have a nice time. We respond regularly to all the consultations that came through, because last year I think we responded to, I think it was about 13 or 14 consultations that came from various government departments and the pensions regulator. There's so much change going on all the time, it doesn't seem to stop, and we'll come on to some of the hot topics that you're involved in and and aware of at the moment. But just to take a step back for a second, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. How did you come to be in this role? I became involved with the PMI because I had a job um, with the Pensions Administration Organisation in Chester, and I was working in sales and marketing. And once I had completed my marketing qualifications, it was thought that it would be a good idea to do pensions qualifications because in a sales and marketing role, you need to understand the services that you're either selling or marketing and also to to give you a bit of kudos. So I was very appreciative of the assistance I got through the exam taking process. I did the correspondence course. I went to the local regional PMI revision courses and people helped me so when the opportunity to give something back came up I was asked to help write the first module that was dedicated to defined contribution so I volunteered from that and before you knew it I became a fellow I was on council became vice president and then president and also you're a director of a company KGC Associates tell us a little bit about that as well KGC Associates we're a, a small independent pensions management consultancy I've been with them it'll be seven years in August we help trustees employers and providers with 
things from a, a governance perspective, it does keep us busy. And with all the changes, as I've alluded to, I'm sure that's going to continue. I mean, there's been so much, and it seems to accelerate all the time, auto-enrolment, pension freedoms, the legislation that comes through, all the talk about uh, the pensions dashboard. Mm. We've got Brexit in the backdrop of all of this. From your point of view and from your members' point of view on a daily basis, what's your sense of what the most important topics are or the things that people are most concerned about at the moment? I think that there's a several of them. One that is very high on a lot of people's agenda is GMP equalisation. Yes. There seems to be a, a wait-and-see approach after the Lloyds ruling um, and the appeal. Uh, however, in the interim, people still need to get on with carrying out the rectification piece. So most schemes have done the GMP reconciliation, but they need the rectification piece so that when this GMP equalisation thing is finally agreed upon, they are in a position to carry it out. However, I do have a concern about, and this is probably more a personal concern, about GMP equalisation in the cost of actually carrying out the exercise is probably more to the scheme than it, what the actual cost of paying the, the money out to the members. You know, as a female, I would want to be treated equally as a male, but as a pensions professional, I do wonder about what the cost is. As I understand it, there are a number of calculation models that are part of the mix. Is, is that framework and getting the right one that the industry all signs up to the main reason for the hold-up, or are there other factors behind it? It is that, in that it was hoped that the Lloyds ruling would come out and say, this is the method to use, but it didn't, it didn't and yeah. there's still the four methods, although there seems to be two favourites. Mm. There is an awful lot of concern about what you're going to have to do with the administration systems to be able to do those calculations, and that always takes time and effort. It's one of those things, nobody wants to build something before they have to. Yes, and is it a case that chicken and the egg, people are waiting after the Lloyd's ruling for others to go down a route that they will then follow and, and in some respects nobody wants to be the first one out the gate. Very, very much so and um, this not wanting to be the first out of the gate is actually affecting different parts mm. of, of the industry as you're, you're probably aware. We are all waiting with bated breath for the pensions bill which was promised in May, then June and the latest rumours are autumn but as we know, autumn can go into the end yes. of the year. So it, it seems that there's lots of initiatives such as CDC, the DB Consolidators, and Pensions Dashboard is all being held up by waiting for hmm. this pensions bill. Because of Brexit and the parliamentary time that was acquired, and also the time in different ministries having to get ready in case there is a no deal, they haven't got time. I mean, in your view, what role has the pensions regulator got in, in all of that context? The pensions regulator has a very, very important role to play in ensuring that our industry complies with what comes through. But there are certain areas within the industry that they can't actually govern. So there are still gaps which could do with being looked at. One of the, the things that they look at is, is, is the role of the scheme and the role of the trustees 
not what their advisors and providers are doing and I sometimes think that they should be looking at what the providers of services are doing for the schemes because sometimes the scheme has no one to go to about those services mm. that providers make. Do you think there's an issue of trust at the moment in the wake of the Carillion fiasco and the changes at the top of TPR and the new vision that they have, but actually there's a lot of catching up to do in terms of the relationship between the industry and, and the TPR at a really critical time, as, you, as you've just described. I actually think that TPR and the industry get on very well and, and have quite a reasonable relationship. Yes, we had some dodgy moments with Carillion, but I think that has been repaired. I think it's also helped that we have new people involved with Charles and David Fairs. I know it's very unfair to place anything at Leslie's doorstep, mm. but the timing of her retirement allows Charles to come in. And he's got a lot of experience. And he? he has got a lot of experience because he has worked at TPR before. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, specifically the PMI, we really welcome him in that position because it's all well and good having someone who's got regulatory experience, but to have someone who has regulatory experience in the pensions industry is a major plus as far as we can see. You mentioned CDCs earlier. I've just come from uh, PBUK and Mark Rayner was there from Royal Mail, mm -hmm. which of course everybody's looking to. Uh, to see whether it's going to work or not. It's again, it's a bit like which model for GMP equalisation. Yes. How are you viewing CDCs at the moment? And of course, come on to Master Trust, you know, some of these new models that are out there. What's your role in sort of being involved in that progression? Our role is ensuring that our members are educated on what is happening, but also for consultants to be able to talk about it knowledgeably and also for trustees because we have a huge trustee population we have over a thousand trustee members so that we're educating the trustees on what the options are and so when they meet their advisors they know what the advisors are talking about and are able to talk about it so we don't necessarily have an opinion about it being good or bad because that's not our role. Our role is to explain it to our members. So in a world where risk, as we're moving from DB to DC and risk is shifting from a paternal employer context to the member mm -hmm. and with alter enrolment, with pension freedoms, with master trust, with CDCs, with all of this new information for people to take on board, at first sight I suppose there's always a danger for members of snow blindness. Do you see the PMI having a role in clarification, simplification of some quite complex concepts. Mm. It is quite interesting you should say that because we have set up some special interest groups. One I chair is on master trusts and um, we have about 30 organisations involved in this uh, special interest group and one of the work streams is the innovation streams and we did talk about the duty that we have of explaining things to members. And one of the issues our industry has is because we have trust-based schemes, because we have contract-based schemes, the language between the two is completely different. And the language between an administrator and an investment manager is completely different. And so we might talk about, I mentioned in a meeting, f flipping a single DC trust into a master trust. 
and there was an investment manager in the room and he didn't know what I was talking about. He'd never heard that expression. You know, you think if you're talking about innovation, we should be blue sky thinking about wonderful default investment funds. But sometimes you have to go right back to basics. Communications is key Communications. There. I wonder why I mentioned communications <laughs> talking to AHC. I will move on. Um, <laughs> so master trusts, are they the future really for a lot of the way that schemes are going? They are an option. The view from the PMI membership, because we, um, we take the pulse of our members on a biannual basis, and there is a belief that we will see DC trusts eventually flipping, I'm using that expression, into master trusts, and in turn, we'll see the number of master trusts reducing. And I'm sure they would extol the virtues of that and, and lots of upside, but do you see downside as well? There's always the issue of diseconomies of scale when you get too big, but it's a case of if you've got the governance in place and the monitoring place and you know what the risks are of the diseconomies, then, then hopefully you can prevent those risks from appearing into reality. Really interesting. Well, we're coming towards a close, but one final thought I'd like your opinion on is around the pensions dashboard, which a lot of thought and conversation going in, and it is being held up with the greater political landscape that there is out there. But from your point of view, from the PMI's point of view, is that something you'd be wanting to see happen and the sooner the better or do you have concerns about it? I can't wait for it to happen. I think the whole industry is frustrated at the length of time it has taken to get to where we are with it and it can't come soon enough. It won't be perfect from the word go and I don't think we should go for perfection. Um, we've had conferences where we've got together representatives from different countries that have dashboards and they've all said don't wait for perfection start off with something simple and keep building on it but make sure you get the communications about it right don't let the perfect become the enemy of the good exactly good to hear communications mentioned there, there <laughs> again, again. <laughs> and one final thought in your role as president for the PMI what would you like to look back in the rearview mirror as your legacy ensuring that the PMI remains fit for purpose and that we evolve to meet the needs of the next generation of pensions professionals, whilst not forgetting mature people like myself. Leslie Carline, President of the PMI, thank you so much for your time.